Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 61 What happened to Don Quixote with the fair huntress? It happened that the next day about sunset, as they were coming out of the wood, Don Quixote cast his eyes on a verdant meadow, and at the farther end of it descried a company, whom, upon a nearer view, he judged to be persons of quality taking the diversion of hawking. Approaching nearer yet, he observed among them a fine lady, upon a white steed in green trappings and a saddle of cloth of silver. She rode with a goshawk on her left hand, by which Don Quixote judged her to be of quality and mistress of the train that attended, as, indeed, she was. Calling to his squire, Sancho, cried he, run and tell that lady on the palfrey that I, the Knight of the Lions, humbly salute her highness and that if she pleases to give me leave, I should be proud to have the honor of waiting on her and kissing her fair hands. But take special care, Sancho, how thou deliverest thy message, and be sure not to lard my compliments with any of thy proverbs. Sancho moved on, forcing Dapple from his old pace to a gallop, and approaching the fair huntress, he alighted, and, falling on his knees, fair lady, quoth he, That knight yonder, called the Knight of the Lions, is my master, I am his squire, Sancho Panza by name. The same Knight of the Lions, who but the other day was called the Knight of the Sorrowful Figure, has sent me to tell you, that so please your worship's grace to give him leave, with your good liking, to do as he has a mind, which, as he says, and as I believe, is only to serve your high-flown beauty, and be your eternal vassal, you may chance to do a thing that would be for your own good, and he would take it for a huge kindness at your hands. Indeed, honest squire, said the lady, you have acquitted yourself of your charge with all the grace which such an embassy requires. Rise, I pray, for it is by no means fit that the squire to so great a knight, to whose name and merit we are no strangers, should remain on his knees. Rise, and desire your master by all means to honor us with his company, 
that my lord duke and I may pay him our respects at a mansion we have hard by. Sancho, overjoyed with this gracious answer, returned to his master, to whom he repeated all that the great lady had said to him, praising to the skies, in his clownish phrase, her great beauty and courteous nature. Don Quixote, pleased with this good beginning, seated himself handsomely in the saddle, fixed his toes in his stirrups, set the beaver of his helmet as he thought best became his face, roused up Rosinante's medal, and with a graceful assurance moved forwards to kiss the duchess's hand. As soon as Sancho went from her, she sent for the duke, her husband, and gave him an account of Don Quixote's embassy. Thereupon they both attended his coming with a pleasant impatience, for, having read the first part of his history, they were no less desirous to be acquainted with his person and resolved, as long as he stayed with them, to give him his own way and humor him in all things, treating him with all the forms essential to the entertainment of a knight-errant, which they were the better able to do, having been much conversant with books of that kind. And now Don Quixote drew nigh with his visor up, and Sancho, seeing him offer to alight, made all the haste he could to be ready to hold his stirrup. But as ill luck would have it, as he was throwing his leg over his pack saddle to get off, he entangled his foot so strangely in the rope that served him instead of a stirrup that, not being able to get it out, he hung by the heel with his nose to the ground. On the other side, Don Quixote, who was used to have his stirrup held when he dismounted, thinking Sancho had hold of it already, lifted up his right leg over the saddle to alight, but as it happened to be ill-girt, down it came with him to the ground, while he, confounded with shame, bestowed many a severe reproach on his poor squire, who was all the while held fast with his foot in the stocks. The duke seeing them in that condition, ordered some of his people to help them, and they raised Don Quixote, who was in no very good case with his fall. However, limping as well as he could, he went to pay his duty to the lady, and would have fallen on his knees at her horse's feet, but the duke alighting would by no means permit it, and embracing Don Quixote, I am sorry, said he, Sir Knight that such a mischance should happen to you at your first appearance in my territories, but the negligence of squires is often the cause of worse accidents. Most generous prince, said Don Quixote, I can think nothing bad that could befall me here, since I have had the happiness of seeing your grace, for though I had fallen ever so low, the glory of this interview would raise me up again. My squire, indeed, is much more apt to set loose his saucy tongue than to gird a saddle well, but prostrate or erect, on horseback or on foot, in any posture, I shall always be at your grace's command, and no less at her grace's, your worthy consort. Worthy did I say? Yes, she is worthy to be called the Queen of Beauty and Sovereign Lady of all courtesy. Pardon me there, said the Duke. Noble Don Quixote de la Mancha, where the peerless Dulcinea is remembered, the praise of all other beauties ought to be forgotten. Sancho was now got clear of the noose and standing near the Duchess. And please your worship's highness, quoth he, 
before his master could answer, it cannot be denied, nay, I dare vouch it in any ground in Spain, that my lady Dulcinea del Toboso is woundy handsome and fair. But where we least think, there starts the hare, and he that makes one handsome pipkin may make two or three hundred, and so, D.C., you may understand by this, that my lady duchess here does not a jot come short of my lady Dulcinea del Toboso. Don Quixote, upon this, addressing himself to the duchess, your grace must know, said he, that no knight errant ever had such an eternal babbler, such a bundle of conceit for a squire as I have, and if I have the honor to continue for some time in your service, your grace will find it true. I am glad, answered the duchess, that honest Sancho has his conceits, which is a sign he is wise, for merry conceits, you know, sir, are not the offspring of a dull brain, and therefore, if Sancho be merry and jocose, I will warrant him also a man of sense. But, not to lose our time here, come on, Sir Knight of the Sorrowful Figure Dash Knight of the Lions, your highness should say, quoth Sancho, the sorrowful figure is out of date, and so pray let the lions come and play. Well, then, said the duke, I entreat the knight of the lions to vouchsafe us his presence at a castle I have hard by, where he shall find such entertainment as is justly due to so eminent a personage, such honors as the duchess and myself are wont to pay to knights errant that travel this way. Sancho having by this time got Rosinante ready and girded the saddle tight, Don Quixote mounted his steed and the duke a stately horse of his own and the duchess riding between them both, they moved towards the castle. She desired that Sancho might always attend near her, for she was extremely taken with his notable sayings. Sancho was not hard to be entreated, but crowded in between them and made a fourth in their conversation to the great satisfaction both of the duke and duchess who esteemed themselves very fortunate in having an opportunity to entertain at their castle such a knight errant and such an erring squire. Chapter 62 Which treats of many and great matters. Sancho was overjoyed to find himself so much in the duchess's favor, flattering himself that he should fare no worse at her castle than he had done at Don Diego's and Basil's houses for he was ever a cordial friend to a plentiful way of living and therefore never failed to take such opportunities by the forelock wherever he met them. Now before they got to the castle, the duke rode away from them to instruct his servants how to behave themselves toward Don Quixote so that no sooner did the knight come near the gates than he was met by two of the duke's lackeys in long vests of fine crimson satin who, suddenly taking him in their arms, lifted him from his horse without any further ceremony. And now, being entered into a large courtyard, there came two damsels who threw a long mantle of fine scarlet over Don Quixote's shoulders. In an instant, all the galleries about the courtyard were crowded with men and women, the domestics of the duke, who cried out, Welcome, the flower and cream of knight errantry. Then they sprinkled bottles of scented water upon Don Quixote, the Duke, and the Duchess, all which agreeably surprised the Don, and persuaded him his knight errantry was indeed more than mere fancy, 
for he found himself treated just as he had read that the brothers of the order were entertained in former ages. They were now led up a stately staircase and then into a noble hall sumptuously hung with rich gold brocade. Here his armor was taken off by six young damsels that served him instead of pages, all of them fully instructed by the Duke and Duchess how to behave themselves towards Don Quixote so that he might look on his entertainment as conformable to those which the famous knights errant received of old. Don Quixote then retired and dressed himself, put on his belt and sword, threw his scarlet cloak over his shoulders and clapped on a cap of green velvet which had been left him by the damsels. Thus accoutred, he was led with great pomp, some of the attendants walking before and some behind, into the supper apartment where a table was magnificently set out for four people. As soon as he approached, the Duke and the Duchess came as far as the door to receive him and with them a grave ecclesiastic one of those that live in and govern great men's houses. After a thousand courtly compliments on all sides, Don Quixote at last approached the table between the Duke and the Duchess, and here arose a contest, for the knight, being offered the upper end of the table, thought himself obliged to decline it. However, he could not withstand the Duke's pressing importunities, but was forced at last to comply. The parson sat right against him and the duke and the duchess on each side. Sancho stood by all the while, gaping with wonder to see the honor done his master and observing how many ceremonies passed and what entreaties the duke used to prevail with him to sit at the upper end of the table with your worship's good leave, quoth he, I will tell you what happened once in our town in reference to this stir and ado that you have had now about places. The words were scarce out of his mouth when Don Quixote began to tremble as having reason to believe he was about to say some impertinent thing or other. Sancho had his eyes upon him and presently understanding his motions, Sir, quoth he, don't fear, I won't be unmannerly, I warrant you. I will speak nothing but what shall be to the purpose. I had so soon forgot the lesson you gave me about talking sense or nonsense, little or much. I don't know what thou meanest, said Don Quixote, say what thou wilt, so thou do it quickly. Well, quoth Sancho, turning to the duke, what I am going to tell you is every tittle true. Should I trip never so little in my story, my master is here to take me up and give me the lie. Prithee, said Don Quixote, trip as much as thou wilt for me, I won't be thy hindrance, but take heed, however, what thou sayest. Nay, nay, quoth Sancho, let me alone for that, I have heeded it and reheeded it over and over, and that you shall see, I warrant you. Truly, my lord, said Don Quixote, it were convenient that your grace should order this fellow to be turned out of the room for he will plague you with a thousand impertinences. Oh! As for that, you must excuse us, said the Duchess. Sancho must not stir a step. I'll engage for him. He shall say nothing but what is proper. Many and many proper years, 
quoth Sancho, may your grace live, Madam Duchess, for your good opinion of me, though it is more your goodness than my desert. Now then for my tale. Once on a time a gentleman of a good estate and family, for he was of the blood of the Alamos of Medina del Campo, and married one Dona Mencia de Quinones, who was the daughter of Don Alonso de Marañón, a knight of the Order of Saint Iago, the very same that was drowned in the Herradura, about whom that quarrel happened formerly in our town, in which I heard say that my master, Don Quixote, was embroiled, and little Tom, the madcap, who was the son of old Belvastro the farrier, happened to be. Sorely heard is not all this true now, master? Speak the truth, that their worship's graces may know that I am neither a praetor nor a liar. Thus far, said the clergyman, I think thou art the first rather than the latter, I can't tell what I shall make of thee by and by. Thou producest so many witnesses, Sancho, said Don Quixote, and mentionest so many circumstances that I must needs own I believe what thou sayest to be true. But go on, and shorten thy story, for as thou beginnest, I'm afraid thou wilt not have done these two days. Pray, don't let him shorten it, said the Duchess, let him go on his own way, though he were not to make an end of it these six days, I shall hear him with pleasure, and think the time pleasantly employed. This same gentleman, then, continued Sancho, I know him as well as I know my right hand from my left, for it is not a bow shot from my house to his, this gentleman, I say, invited a husbandman to dine with him, who was a poor man, but main honest. On, friend, said the chaplain, at the rate you proceed, your tale won't reach its end before you reach the other world. A little more of your Christian patience, good doctor, quoth Sancho. Now this same husbandman, as I said before, coming to this same gentleman's house, who had given him the invitation, heaven rest his soul, poor heart. For he is now dead and gone, and more than that, they say he died the death of an angel. For my part, I was not by him when he died, for I was gone to harvest work at that very time to a place called Tembleque. Prithee, honest friend, said the clergyman, leave your harvest work and come back quickly from Tembleque without staying to bury the gentleman unless you have a mind to occasion more funerals, therefore, pray make an end of your story. You must know then, quoth Sancho, that as they two were ready to sit down at table, I mean the husbandman and the gentleman that thinks I see them now before my eyes plainer than ever I did in my born days, the husbandman would not sit till the gentleman had taken his place, but the gentleman made him a sign to put himself at the upper end. By no means, sir, quoth the husbandman. Sit down, said the other. Good your worship, quoth the husbandman. Sit where I bid thee, said the gentleman. Still the other excused himself and would not, and the gentleman told him he should, as meaning to be master in his own house. But the overmannerly Luby, fancying he should be hugely well-bred and civil in it, 
scraped and cringed and refused till at last the gentleman in a great passion even took him by the shoulders and forced him into the chair. Sit there, Claude Pate, cried he, for let me sit wherever I will, that still will be the upper end and the place of worship to thee. And now you have my tale, and I think I have spoke nothing but what is to the purpose. Don Quixote's face was flushed with anger and shame, so that the Duke and Duchess were obliged to check their mirth when they perceived Sancho's roguery, that Don Quixote might not be put too much out of countenance. And therefore, to turn the discourse, that Sancho might not run into other fooleries, the Duchess asked Don Quixote what news he had of the Lady Dulcinea, and how long it was since he had sent her any giants or robbers for a present, not doubting but that he had lately subdued many such. Alas! Madam, answered he, my misfortunes have had a beginning, but I fear will never have an end. I have vanquished giants, elves, and cutthroats, and sent them to the mistress of my soul, but where shall they find her? She is enchanted, madam, and transformed to the ugliest piece of rusticity that can be imagined. I don't know, sir, quoth Sancho, when I saw her last, she seemed to be the finest creature in the Varsal world, thus far, at least, I can safely vouch for her upon my own knowledge, that for activity of body and leaping, the best tumbler of them all does not go beyond her. Upon my honest word, Madam Duchess, she will vault from the ground upon her ass like a cat. Have you seen her enchanted? said the Duke. Seen her, quoth Sancho, and who was the first that hit upon this trick of her enchantment, think you, but I. She is as much enchanted as my father. The churchman hearing them talk of giants, elves, and enchantments, began to suspect this was Don Quixote de la Mancha, whose history the Duke so often used to read, though he had several times reprehended him for it, telling him it was a folly to read such follies. Being confirmed in his suspicion, he addressed himself very angrily to the Duke. My lord, said he, your grace will have a large account to give one day for encouraging this poor man's follies. I suppose this same Don Quixote, or Don Quite Sot, or whatever you are pleased to call him, cannot be quite so besotted as you endeavor to make him by giving him such opportunities to run on in his fantastical humors? Then directing his discourse to Don Quixote, hark ye, said he, Senior Adelpate, who has put it into your head that you are a knight errant and that you vanquish giants and robbers? Go, go, get you home again, look after your children, if you have any, and what honest business you have to do, and leave wandering about the world, building castles in the air, and making yourself a laughing stock to all that know you, or know you not. Where have you found that there ever has been, or are now, any such things as knights errant? Where will you meet with giants in Spain? or monsters in La Mancha? Where shall one find your enchanted Dulcineas and all those legions of whimsies and chimeras that are talked of in your account but in your own empty skull? 
Don Quixote gave this reverend person a hearing with great patience. But at last, seeing him silent, without minding his respect to the Duke and Duchess, up he started with indignation and fury in his looks and said but his answer deserves a chapter by itself. Chapter 63 Don Quixote's answer to his reprover with other grave and merry accidents. Don Quixote having thus suddenly got up, with his whole frame agitated with indignation, cast an angry look on his indiscreet censor, and thus spake, this place, the presence of these noble persons, and the respect I have always had for your function, check my just resentment, and tie up my hands from taking the satisfaction of a gentleman. For these reasons, and since everyone knows that you gown men, as well as women, use no other weapons but your tongues, I will fairly engage you upon equal terms and combat you at your own weapon. I should rather have expected sober admonitions from a man of your cloth than infamous reproaches. Charitable and wholesome correction ought to be managed at another rate and with more moderation. The least that can be said of this reproof which you have given me here so bitterly and in public is that it has exceeded the bounds of Christian correction and a gentle one had been much more becoming. Is it fit that without any insight into the offense which you reprove, you should, without any more ado, call the offender fool, sought, and adulpate? Pray, sir, what foolish action have you seen me do that should provoke you to give me such a language and bid me so magisterially go home to look after my wife and children before you know whether I have any? Don't you think those deserve a severe censure who screw themselves into other men's houses and pretend to rule the master? A fine world it is truly when a poor pedant who has seen no more of it than lies within twenty or thirty leagues about him shall take upon him to prescribe laws to night errantry and judge of those who profess it. You, forsooth, esteem it an idle undertaking and time lost to wander through the world, though scorning its pleasures and sharing the hardships and toils of it by which the virtuous aspire to the high seat of immortality. If persons of honor, knights, lords, gentlemen, or men of any birth should take me for a fool or a coxcomb, I should think it an irreparable affront. But for mere scholars that never trod the path of chivalry to think me mad, I despise and laugh at it. I am a knight, and a knight will I die, if so it please omnipotence. Some choose the high road of haughty ambition, others the low ways of base servile flattery, a third sort take the crooked path of deceitful hypocrisy, and a few, very few, that of true religion. I, for my own part, follow the narrow track of knight errantry, and for the exercise of it I despise riches, but not honor. I have redressed grievances, and righted the injured, chastised the insolent, vanquished giants, and trod elves and hobgoblins under my feet. I am in love, but no more than the profession of knight errantry obliges me to be. My intentions are all directed to virtuous ends, and to do no man wrong, but good to all the world.
And now let your graces judge, most excellent duke and duchess, whether a person who makes it his only study to practice all this deserves to be upbraided for a fool. Well said, truly, quoth Sancho, say no more for yourself, my good lord and master, stop when you are well, for there is not the least matter to be added more on your side. Besides, since Mr. Parson has had the face to say, point blank, as one may say, that there neither are, nor ever were, any knights errant in the world, no marvel he does not know what he says. What, said the clergyman, I warrant you are that Sancho Panza to whom they say your master has promised an island. I, Mary am I, answered Sancho, and I am he that deserves it as well as another body, and I am one of those of whom they say, keep with good men and thou shalt be one of them, and of those of whom it is said again, not with whom thou wert bred, but with whom thou hast fed, as also, lean against a good tree, and it will shelter thee. I have leaned and stuck close to my good master, and kept him company this many a month, and now he and I are all one, and I must be as he is, and so he live, and I live, he will not want kingdoms to rule, nor shall I want islands to govern. That thou shalt not, honest Sancho, said the duke, for I, on the great Don Quixote's account, will now give thee the government of an odd one of my own of no small consequence. Down, down on thy knees, Sancho, cried Don Quixote, and kiss his grace's feet for this favor. Sancho did accordingly, but when the clergyman saw it, he got up in a great heat. By the habit which I wear, cried he, I can scarce forbear telling your grace that you are as mad as these sinful wretches. Well, may they be mad when such wise men as you humor and authorize their frenzy. You may keep them here and stay with them yourself if your grace pleases, but for my part I will leave you and go home to save myself the labor of reprehending what I can't mend. With that, leaving the rest of his dinner behind him, away he flung, the duke and the duchess not being able to pacify him, though, indeed, the duke could not say much to him for laughing at his impertinent passion. When he had done laughing, Sir Knight of the Lions, said he, you have answered so well that you need no farther satisfaction of the angry clergyman, especially if you consider that whatever he might say, it was not in his power to fix an affront on a person of your character, since women and churchmen cannot give an affront. Very true, my lord, said Don Quixote, and I ought not to have any resentment for what that good man said, neither, indeed, have I any. I only wish he would have stayed a little longer that I might have convinced him of his error in believing there were never any knights errant in the world. Had Amadis, or any one of his innumerable race, but heard him say anything like this, I can assure his reverence it would have gone hard with him. I will answer for it, it would, quoth Sancho, they would have undone him as you would undo an oyster, and have cleft him from head to foot as one would slice a pomegranate or a ripe muskmelon. They were a parcel of tough blades and would not have swallowed such a pill. I verily believe, 
had Rinaldo of Montalban but heard the poor man talk at this rate, he would have given him such a gag as would have secured him from prating these three years. I, I, if he had fallen into their clutches, see how he would have got out again. The Duchess was ready to die with laughing at Sancho, whom she thought a more pleasant fool and a greater madman than his master, and she was not the only person at that time of this opinion. The Duchess now took an opportunity to desire the knight to give a particular description of the Lady Dulcinea del Toboso's beauty and accomplishments, not doubting but that his good memory would enable him to do it well, adding withal, that according to the voice of fame, she must needs be the finest creature in the whole world, and consequently in La Mancha. With that, Don Quixote, fetching a deep sigh, Madam, said he, could I pluck out my heart and expose it to your grace's view, I might save my tongue the labor of attempting that which it cannot express, and you can scarce believe, for there your grace would see her beauty depainted to the life. But why should I undertake to delineate and copy one by one each several perfection of the peerless Dulcinea? That task were worthy of the pencils of Parisius, Timantes, and Apelles, or the grieving tools of Lysippus. The hands of the best painters and statuaries should indeed be employed to give in speaking paint, in marble and Corinthian brass, an exact copy of her beauties while Ciceronian and Demosthenian eloquence labored to reach the praise of her endowments. Pray, sir, asked the Duchess, what do you mean by that word Demosthenian? Demosthenian eloquence, madam, said Don Quixote, is as much as to say the eloquence of Demosthenes and the Ciceronian, that of Cicero, the two greatest orators that ever were in the world. It is true, said the Duke, and you but shoot your ignorance, my dear, in asking such a question. Yet the noble Don Quixote would highly oblige us if he would but be pleased to attempt her picture now, for even in a rude draft of her lineaments, I question not, but she will appear so charming as to deserve the envy of the brightest of her sex. Ah, my lord, said Don Quixote, it would be so indeed if the misfortune which not long since befell her had not in a manner raised her idea out of the sea of my memory, and as it is, I ought rather to bewail her change than describe her person, for your grace must know that as I lately went to kiss her hands and obtain her benediction and leave for my intended absence in quest of new adventures, I found her quite another creature than I expected. I found her enchanted transformed from a princess to a country wench, from beauty to ugliness, from courtliness to rusticity, from a reserved lady to a jumping Joan, in short, from Dulcinea del Toboso to a peasantess of Sayago. Bless us, cried the duke with a loud voice, what villain has done the world such an injury? Who has robbed it not only of the beauty that was its ornament? but of those charming graces that were its delight and that virtue which was its living honor. Who should it be, replied Don Quixote, but one of those cursed magicians who have persecuted me and will continue to do so till they have sunk me and my lofty deeds of chivalry into the profound abyss of oblivion. Yes, 
They wound me in that part which they well know is most sensible, aware that to deprive a knight errant of his lady is to rob him of the eyes with which he sees, of the sun that enlightens him, and of the food that sustains him. For, as I have often said, a knight errant without a lady is like a tree without leaves, a building without mortar, or a shadow without a body that causes it. I grant all this, said the Duchess, yet if we may believe the history of your life, which was lately published with universal applause, it seems to imply, to the best of my remembrance, that you never saw the Lady Dulcinea, and that there is no such lady in the world, but rather that she is a mere notional creature, proceeding from your own fancy, and there endowed with all the charms and good qualifications which you are pleased to ascribe to her. Much may be said upon this point, said Don Quixote, heaven knows whether there be a Dulcinea in the world or not, and whether she be a notional creature or not. These are mysteries not to be so narrowly inquired into. I do indeed make her the object of my contemplations, and, as I ought, look on her as a lady endowed with all those qualifications that may raise the character of a person to universal fame. She is to me beautiful without blemish, reserved without pride, amorous with modesty, agreeable for her courteous temper, and courteous as an effect of her generous education, and, in short, of an illustrious parentage. For beauty displays its luster to a higher degree of perfection when joined with noble blood than it can in those that are mainly descended. The observation is just, said the Duke, but give me leave, sir, to propose to you a doubt which the reading of that history hath started in my mind. It is that, allowing there be a Dulcinea at Toboso, or elsewhere, and as beautiful as you describe her, yet I do not find she can anyway equal in greatness of birth the Orianas, the Elastrogerias, the Medassimas, and a thousand others of whom we read in those histories with which you have been so conversant. To this, said Don Quixote, I answer that Dulcinea is the daughter of her own actions and that virtue ennobles the blood. A virtuous man of mean condition is more to be esteemed than a vicious person of quality. Besides, Dulcinea is possessed of those other endowments that may entitle her to crowns and scepters since beauty alone has raised many of her sex to a throne. I must own, sir, said the Duchess, that in all your discourse you, as we say, proceed with the plummet of reason and fathom all the depths of controversy. Therefore I submit, and from this time I am resolved to believe and will make all my domestics, nay my husband too, if there be occasion, believe and maintain that there is a Dulcinea del Toboso extant and living at this day, that she is beautiful and of good extraction, and to sum up all in a word, altogether deserving the services of so great a knight as the noble Don Quixote, which I think is the highest commendation I can bestow on her. But yet I must confess there is still one scruple that makes me uneasy and causes me to have an ill opinion of Sancho. It is that the history tells us that when Sancho Panza carried your letter to the Lady Dulcinea, 
he found her winnowing a sack of corn by the same token that it was the worst sort of wheat which makes me much doubt her quality. Your grace must know, answered Don Quixote, that almost everything that relates to me is managed quite contrary to what the affairs of other knights errant used to be. Whether the unfathomable will of destiny or the implacable malice of envious enchanters orders it so or no, I cannot tell. But I have good reason to believe that these magicians, finding they cannot work their wicked ends directly on me, revenge themselves on what I most esteem and endeavor to take away my life by persecuting that of Dulcinea in whom and for whom I live. And therefore the unfortunate lady must be thus enchanted, misused, disfigured, chopped, and changed. My enemies, wreaking their malice on her, have revenged themselves on me, which makes me abandon myself to sorrow till she be restored to her former perfections. I have been the more large in this particular that nobody might insist on what Sancho said of her sifting of corn, for if she appeared changed to me, what wonder is it if she seemed so to him? In short, Dulcinea is both illustrious and well-born, being descended of the most ancient and best families in Toboso, of whose blood I am positive she has no small share in her veins, and now that town will be no less famous in after ages for being the place of her nativity than Troy for Helen, though on a more honorable account. As for Sancho Panza's part, I assure your grace he is one of the most pleasant squires that ever waited on a knight errant. Sometimes he comes out with such sharp simplicities that one is pleasantly puzzled to judge whether he be more knave or fool. The varlet, indeed, is full of roguery enough to be thought a knave, but then he has yet more ignorance and may better be thought a fool. He doubts of everything, yet believes everything, and when one would think he had entangled himself in a piece of downright folly beyond recovery, he brings himself off of a sudden so cleverly that he is applauded to the skies. In short, I would not change him for the best squire that wears a head, though I might have a city to boot, and therefore I do not know whether I had best let him go to the government which your grace has been pleased to promise him. Though I must confess his talents seem to lie pretty much that way, for, give never so little a wet to his understanding, he will manage his government as well as the king does his customs. Then experience convinces us that neither learning nor any other abilities are very material to a governor. Have we not a hundred of them that can scarce read a letter, and yet they govern as sharp as so many hawks? Their main business is only to mean well and to be resolved to do their best, for they cannot want able counselors to instruct them. Thus those governors who are men of the sword and no scholars have their assessors on the bench to direct them. My counsel to Sancho shall be that he neither take bribes nor lose his privileges with some other little instructions which I have in my head for him and which at a proper time I will communicate both for his private advantage and the public good of the island he is to govern. Here the conversation ceased and Don Quixote went to take his afternoon sleep, but the Duchess desired Sancho, 
If you were not very sleepy, to pass the afternoon with her and her women in a cool room. Sancho told her grace that indeed he did use to take a good sound nap some four or five hours long in a summer's afternoon, but to do her good honor or kindness, he would break an old custom for once and do his best to hold up that day and wait on her worship 